Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasum Car. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Shaheen Mahoon. Shaheen is a lawyer, a legalist leader, who was recently shortlisted as the Law of the Year by the Modern Law Awards in 2020, and a millennial entrepreneur. So, a very big welcome. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. I'm really thrilled to actually partake in your much-anticipated podcast. Well, you, that's very kind of you. You've achieved so much uh, very early on in your career. Um, But before we we go through all of that and the good work that you're doing for the legal sector currently, uh, we must start with our open customary question on the podcast, which is on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the hit TV series Suits? I'm in the middle. I'm going to say five. Yeah, I recently uh, rated it five as well. Why are you giving it a five? So certain elements that they talk about, for example, the working life environment, especially when you're an associate or like a trainee lawyer, um, in terms of the current relationships in firms with partners and the work they undertake, they explore it really well. Um, a prime example is some of the associates that work for Lewis Lit. Um, however, obviously for you know television effect, certain things are very dramatic and you know, you can't be just expected to bring cases within like less than 24 hour notice without following directions, etc. So as a lawyer, it does sort of drive my OCD up the roof, but they've done really well in terms of sort of exploring junior level uh, relationships in the show itself. Yeah, no, absolutely. So listen, we need to, to move on to talk a lot about you and what you're doing, but let's start at the beginning. Um, tell us a bit about your family background and your, your upbringing. Uh, so my background, very straightforward, very simple. Um, my my father, well, he has a unique background in the sense that he fled the first Gulf War and came to the UK, um, settled here, met my mother. They started their own life together. And just like any other person living in central London, um, I attended primary school, secondary school, all within Hackney. And, you know, really wanted to pursue a career in law uh, purely because of the people around me. And obviously the difficulties people face on a daily basis. So it was a very interesting sort of aspiration that I had from a young age. Uh, went to university at Westminster, where I was one of the first years to take part in a new course, which is quite common now, which is called the integrated course, which merges the, the law degree and the LBC degree together. At the time, it was quite unique because it was very cost efficient. So you weren't paying for the LBC um, substantially as many people do. You were only paying at the law degree level. And from there, I essentially joined a city firm, undertook my training contract. And as soon as I qualified, I ended up co-founding Black Antelope Law. Yeah, no, absolutely. But did you always want to be a lawyer? Was that always the ambition? Absolutely. Um, a lot of people have this sort of general bias of assuming lawyers are very commercially driven. Uh, from a young age, I could see the impact of good lawyers, especially when they're fighting for human rights and social welfare from a community perspective. So I had the aspiration of actually, it was either going into law or going into politics. Politics was a bit more difficult for myself because it's not something that I feel passionate about as much as law. Whereas in law, for example, I feel like you can make change and it's more progressive and you're actually at the forefront. I think being a politician is a bit more vain. So you're more trying to promote yourself rather than trying to help the ideas of other individuals, et cetera, at times. And it can be very career driven. So it was a bit of a overlap. But at the end, I felt like being a lawyer was more suitable for myself. 
Yeah. And then fast forward, obviously, after all of your studies, you you, you trained in London and, and had some legal experiences before, obviously, co-founding your, your your current operation. So do you want to tell us a bit about your, your legal experiences uh, prior to setting up? Um, so I took undertook my training contract at a city firm called Milestone, uh, where I was part of a team that specialised in business immigration. So we sort of helped entrepreneurs, investors, highly skilled migrants, etc., um, who wanted to enter the UK or remain in the UK uh, with their families, etc. So very successful department itself. Something that you know that I felt very passionate about, and it also overlapped with some of the work that I did when it came to. Um, representing uh, people from the EU and also just generally British immigration rules, representing spouses, etc. I was also very embedded in representing clients when they were bringing claims against public bodies for unlawful decisions. From there, essentially, my passion built up and I felt like I was very heavily involved with the law. From there, I was very commercially driven, but at the same time, I was quite loyal towards my vision of remaining in the human rights sector. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and then sort of fast forward on from that, you you know, obviously have co-founded the the Black Antelope Group, which is described, as you say, as a intuitive, inspirational, innovative. Do you want to tell listeners more about, about it and, and what you do? So essentially, once I had qualified as a solicitor, some of the options that were presented before me was to remain with my current firm and build my way up, become an associate and then a partner. Also maybe join another firm where there's some offers on the table in terms of joining as like an associate or like an assistant solicitor. However, I felt quite confident with the client base that I developed during my time as a trainee through the marketing campaigns, business development, going out there, networking, whether it was virtually or face-to-face. I felt quite confident that, you know, what was expected from me as a junior lawyer, I could actually exceed that. And that's where I came across my colleague, Simao, who is a barrister. And we also attended the same secondary school in Hackney. And we've always had sort of visions about sort of challenging the stereotype of a BME lawyer. And we're often presented with the idea that leadership is quite restricted and that the legal sector is very close in terms of uh, individuals such as ourselves progressing within the sector. Uh, We were very keen to promote an idea that was very transparent, very millennial friendly and sort of challenge the stereotypes and traditions that the legal profession has that people can't progress if you don't conform to a certain value. So we went with setting up our own organization, the Black Antelope Group. And one of the first things that we did was actually brainstorm what we should actually call our venture. And some of the ideas that we had, we wanted to walk away from the traditional law firm style where, you know, it's named under individuals, you know, very like Latin, very you know outdated, very traditional. We wanted to go with something that was more compatible with the modern market. So you look at brands such as like Puma, for example, they don't need to sell themselves as to what they're selling. But when you see Puma, you automatically recognize that brand. So we went with the Black Antelope, which we thought was a very suitable logo for ourselves, suitable animal that represents our sort of traits in terms of intelligence and awareness. And from there, essentially, it's just been a roller coaster of a journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. I love that sort of, you know, mindset and that approach and way you've kind of thought about putting things together. So, so tell us a bit more then about sort of the, you know, the Black Antelope Law, because again, that's described very much as sort of expert, objective, accessible. Tell our listeners more. Um, so essentially, we have a overriding umbrella organization called the Black Antelope Group. 
and that's broken down into different arms. Uh, first arm is the Black Antelope Law, which is providing expert legal advice to our clients and their businesses, where we specialize in certain areas such as commercial property, disputes, litigation, probation, and immigration. We also have another arm called Black Antelope Coaching, where we provide specific advice to young entrepreneurs, millennial entrepreneurs, SMEs, and young businesses in terms of in terms of running their business and also managing their business and also just general mentorship, which might be quite absent in the sort of sector that they're sort of pursuing. And we have a third arm called the Black Antelope ADR, which is all about providing mediation services. So essentially, we brought these organizations together and we provide them in separate capacities without compromising our values by ensuring that our clients are aware that when they come to us, they're coming for a specific service rather than just having it under one roof. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, look, it, it sounds great, but I'm sure you've had challenges along the way, you know, as we're setting up anything. Um, in terms of giving some sort of honest transparency about the journey and where you've got to, do you want to sort of share some experiences around maybe some of the challenges you've had and what you've had to get over? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the first challenge I would say is the sort of perception of the competition amongst lawyers, especially with junior lawyers. Um, so I read a statistic the other day from the Law Society that was published on their website that said that the average age of a trainee solicitor qualifying is 29. Uh, myself, I co-founded uh, Black Antelope when I was 26. So trying to get a training contract in the first place was highly competitive, very difficult. It all comes down to the issue of the fact that law firms are businesses. And I think people forget that they're looking for someone to invest in, but at the same time, someone that can help them financially. And with so many students, um, myself, when I did the law degree, the LPC, there's so many students, you've got so many people from older years, younger years coming into the profession, conversion courses like the GDL, you've also got foreign qualified lawyers. The market itself is so saturated. It's not that there's not enough talented people. There's just too many people. So when the drive comes to getting a training contract, it all boils down to very, very sort of finite details such as your ability to market, business development, and just not just be a lawyer, be more of an entrepreneur. Some of the other difficulties is also the common perception of when you're a lawyer of a BME background, you're seen as inferior to the traditional stereotype of a lawyer. Um, so it's overcoming those prejudices. And especially when you're a young lawyer, you're automatically seen as someone inexperienced. Uh, when I was a trainee lawyer, I was involved with the management, with the partners, getting experiences from a young age. Um, since I've been 17, I've been working in the legal sector. So I had a very good knowledge. And it's also just demonstrating that you have the capacity to run a firm. Um, it's always, always about overcoming prejudices. And I think that's the hardest part of the legal profession, especially when I set up the firm at 26. People assumed that, you know, do I have the means to actually go ahead with it? And, I feel proud in the sense that we've been running for two years now. and We've not come across those difficulties. And I've tried to actually demonstrate that it is possible that people who are sort of aspiring to go into law, that they should be thinking about it from a different perspective rather than sort of following the same narrative. Yeah, and I just love that. I mean, there's such entrepreneurial flair, which you've shown and ambition and risk as well, which is not necessarily always associated you know, with, with, with sort of lawyers sort of at the sort of start or, or thinking about going into their careers or, or branching out. So I think that's a really good role model 
and and good for you in terms of sort of how far you've gone and continue will continue to go i'm sure um, and you know you are an award-winning solicitor but the other nice thing i really kind of respect and, and know about you is you love to give back so you are um you know a quality diversity and inclusion committee member for the law society do you want to tell us more about your work there uh, absolutely. So recently, uh, last year, I was appointed onto the actual committee for equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, so I work with the Law Society to help implement, review and consider measures concerning equality and diversity within the legal sector. So it's providing my sort of invaluable resource and experiences on how I can assist. And the Law Society is currently undertaking a massive campaign to raise awareness and one of the things I would say is equality and diversity is a major factor within the legal profession today. It's no longer seen as a chore for law firms. It's seen as an opportunity to revise their strategy. And some firms are even taking it beyond that. They're actually looking to implement it as a marketing strategy. Um, when you look at the client base, the international clients that are available, all backgrounds, I mean, it just goes without saying the opportunities are available when you can tap into different markets, but you can only tap into different markets if you can demonstrate that you can cater towards that community's needs. And the only way law firms have actually identified that is improving their equality and diversity strategy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the other um, point I would I'd kind of draw on that a lot of listeners will be keen to know about as, as a sort of business owner during COVID-19, during this pandemic, you know, there's a lot of challenges that you're probably currently facing, but what are you doing to ensure that your law firm is going to future-proof itself, um, you know, if this is a sustained pandemic? Um, so one of the first things that we did when we set up the firm was heavily, uh, heavily invest in the infrastructure, such as remote working policies, um, the ability to actually uh, consider our case management system, which is actually tailor-made, specifically made, so it suits us as lawyers. From my experiences as a young lawyer, one of, the worst, one of the worst things that I experienced within a law firm was how rigid it is, especially uh, with, you know, the models that traditional firms sort of experience in the sense that they sort of talk about consultancy uh, models and the flexibility, etc. They actually, when you go down to it, they're very rigid and very, very, you know, behind the times, unfortunately. So you're expected to go in the office at a certain time. There's a lack of foreseeability. So people are more worried about now rather than looking into the future. So when we co-founded specifically Black Antelope Law, we looked into means where we could work all over the country. So we had major, major plans of setting up firms all around the world before this whole COVID-19 situation. And the remote working facility would have definitely helped a lot. Now that obviously there's been a pandemic, unfortunately, and that's affected not just us, all law firms, all businesses across the UK, our remote working facilities, our measures that we put into place have actually kicked in. So it's not been a major disruption in business. And it's something that I feel proud of, but actually highlighting it before, because a lot of law firms, unfortunately, are facing the struggle now. And they need to realize that we need to move on from the traditional paper system onto the more electronic system. Yeah, I think it's definitely that, you know, this has been a massive wake up call for a lot of traditional firms that have perhaps been stuck in the dark ages, particularly with regards to, you know, remote, flexible, agile working. And it's red hot right now, as you can imagine. And I think law firms that choose to 
embrace and, and look at that um, will do well. And those that refuse to and, and stick to the old ways, I think they'll really struggle. And that kind of leads nicely on to mentoring because you know you do a lot of mentoring work generally in, in, in the wider sort of spaces. Do you want to sort of tell people about some of your mentoring work and why you do it? Absolutely. So as a young lawyer, when I was in uni, I had the benefit of actually benefiting from a mentor who was working at a legal 500 firm. Um, she was very nice. She was a trainee solicitor at the time. And she also provided me with invaluable experiences. And it was something that gave me a bit more confidence, especially when I wanted to set up my firm, asking all these questions, how it was, what can I expect? What sort of exams should I do? Any you know, advice, any mechanisms that I should be expecting? From a young age, when you're sort of fed that information, it not only gives you assurance, it also provides you with confidence to pursue it further. I feel like I'm in a bit more of a unique position having set up my firm at a young age. So I feel like when I mentor younger lawyers or even lawyers who are setting, looking to set up their own firms, I can provide them with that invaluable advice that they wouldn't seek anywhere else. And my approach to mentoring has always been straightforward. I say it as it is. Sometimes it's not the best of news. Sometimes it's very blunt. But it's also providing people the sheer honesty, this sheer sort of journey expectations of difficulties that they might expect. But at the same time, it's also helping them. Because one thing I've learned in the legal profession is the whole onus on competition is very significant, that people sort of ignore the benefits of collaboration. So when I speak to another lawyer, whether they're qualified or not qualified, I see potentially there's this is someone that I can collaborate with someone that I might be able to assist or someone that might be able to assist me. And it has happened and I've benefited from it. Mentoring, it works both ways. I feel like the more people we have mentoring, the more representative it is, the more people we have from different backgrounds, the more we can make the legal profession successful and move away from this whole traditional method. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well said. I think people need to kind of come alive to the fact that, you know, if anything from this pandemic, it, it really has shaken up the industry. Hopefully, you know, in, in, in the right areas in some respects as well, um, most, most, most definitely. In terms of then just logistics for you as the way your firm's sort of set up, how do you sort of charge for your clients? Do you have a, a traditional model or do you do things differently in, in that respect? Absolutely. So Black Antelope Law, we're very unique in the sense that we're both an organization that has both barristers and solicitors under one roof. So the traditional method would be, for example, if there was a litigation matter, solicitor would do the pre-trial work, they would instruct counsel, and then there's two sets of fees that the client would pay for, essentially. We've actually reduced costs on that by having it all under one roof. One of the other sort of means that we've sort of introduced is very transparent costing in the sense that we only charge our clients predominantly fixed fees. Traditionally, law firms charge by the hour. It can be very expensive. It can be very unclear. But we sort of set that out very early on in our instructions for clients, et cetera. And we sort of make it clear that you are getting value for money. But at the same time, you know, it's very transparent, very effective. And one of the inspirations behind that model was actually when I sort of did my research for setting up Black Antelope Law and I was looking around the market in other sectors. Nowadays, the public itself, I included myself, we've become very consumer savvy. So when we shop around, for example, online, we want to get the best value for money at the best price, at the best quality. I feel like the legal profession sometimes slacks in that. And you know, when you go into a law firm, they will be charging you, but you might not get quality or you might be overpriced. And obviously that can have impact in terms of the relationship between a client and their lawyer. 
So we've been very transparent. We've tried to sort of adopt more of a modern approach and sort of fit in with the current model of pricing strategies. And we feel like having fixed fees is the best way going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, well, that's kind of cleared cleared that up and shows how you've managed to, again, quite, you know, show innovation there in terms of bringing things under one one, one roof. And, and just back to some of your wider work, particularly with the, the MOGA, you know, in terms of justice of the piece, do you want to tell people a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I am a criminal law magistrate, which I also was appointed at the age of 27. Uh, so very young. Again, went into the interviews, went through the whole procedure, been doing it for over a year now. So absolutely something that I love. One of the biggest things I would say, I just love the fact that when I go on to the panels and when I'm actually sitting as a magistrate within the criminal law court system, I feel very, very progressive in the sense that when I look at my peers, they all tend to be very traditional magistrates, a bit more older, not representative as much. I feel like having someone as young as myself is more reflective and is able to understand the situation people are in. Sometimes when I go into the actual like, staff room, for example, that everyone's always looking around and they're thinking, am I in the right place? Am I sure that I'm actually meant to be here? I absolutely love it. Um, I would encourage more people Actually, if they're very interested, especially like law students or younger lawyers, if they want to become a magistrate, they should be actually looking to do it. I mean, not only do you get experience, it's something that, you know, it's a life experience as well, not just legal experience. Um, anyone's entitled to apply. It's a voluntary role, provided that you meet the criteria and go through the interview. But something that I would suggest that if you're interested in doing, go online and actually apply directly to them. Yeah, no, why not? People get themselves out there. And that kind of lends itself again onto my my next point about putting yourself out there and professional networking. Do you want to talk about the importance of that and how you found that sort of beneficial for you as a, not only a lawyer, but as a, a business owner? Absolutely. From my time as a young lawyer, uh, it's been very difficult to sort of try to knock on the right doors. I sort of felt very inspired by business individuals uh, from a young age, I've been watching like Dragons Day and Apprentice, etc. And you always feel like, you know, you could do it. I especially thought that I could do it. But when you're a lawyer, it just feels like everything flips on its head. You're just, you just feel like you have to conform to the you know, standard lawyer model. You can't be entrepreneurial at the same time as being a lawyer. Um, so one of the few, few things that I was very interested in was trying to see how I could merge that entrepreneur desire with, you know, my ambition to become a lawyer. From a young age, I've been networking with other lawyers, with other business people from other sectors, trying to get insight as to how their mind works. One of the most common questions I get is, how do you network? It's actually changed over the last 10 years. So 10 years ago, I remember when I made my first sort of LinkedIn account and going through it, actually, you know, LinkedIn, you know, it's only recently, I would say five years or so, that it's become very, very normal. It's become the standard approach for anyone to have. Like, if you don't have LinkedIn now, then you know most employers would raise red flags straight away, saying, "Well, why does this individual not have LinkedIn?" But back then, 10, 12 years ago, when I set up LinkedIn, it was an amazing tool that I had, and I was able to actually do virtual networking, which is something quite new to the market back then, where I was able to reach out to people that I don't know personally, never met them. But because of the experiences, I felt very interested in actually connecting with them, getting their advice and seeing, you know, how can I could learn from them, you know, et cetera, and what I could benefit from. As a result, you end up with meetings. Next thing you know, I mean, they reach out to you in five years, six years time, and they see that you've you know, set up your own law firm. They're instructing you on legal matters. So 
it's also moving away from the sort of standard approach of networking. So a lot of people assume they have to attend parties, drinking, uh, going to the bar, pubs. Everyone's sort of moved on from that. And it's come more to do with, you know, coming down to business essentially. So virtual networking is one way of sort of going about meeting the right people. The way I see it is if you don't reach out to someone, then you've already lost a contact before you've actually spoken to them. I mean, the most they can do is actually ignore you. But that's the same as you not reaching out to them in the first place. Yeah, and that's just a really simple way of looking at it, but it's so true. And I, I just think now, particularly you're looking at this from an entrepreneurial lens as well as obviously a legal yeah. lens. I think, you know, LinkedIn is so powerful. You know, there's an argument to say that, you know, they're more powerful than sort of firm websites in terms of you know, positioning them. And we've got some really interesting guests coming up on the show and have been on the show that have really talked about the power of of LinkedIn. I think if people are underutilizing that, even in any professional services sector and beyond, I think you're really missing a trick. But look, it can't all be networking, legal, it can't all be hard work. You know, we need to have some downtime, you know, mental health, you know, de-stressing, all of those things are very, very important. But you know, so tell us a bit about you. What do you get up to for, for downtime? So very interesting question. I mean, it's something that I've only recently actually reflected on. So from being a young sort of entrepreneur, uh, young lawyer, etc. I fell into the trap working like 12 hours a day, 10 hours a day, you know, constantly grinding out hours, constantly, you know, it just felt like I was addicted to this adrenaline of like work. You know, for example, you're working on cases, you're reaching out, you leave in the morning at like six, seven o'clock, and then you come home at like midnight, one o'clock. And it just felt like this high life. It's something that's not addressed very commonly in the legal profession until now. Uh, one thing I've actually learned to do is take a step back, reflect on the work that I've done. And sort of embraced on new hobbies, such as, for example, recently I've been actually creating um, that social media posts, etc. Um, you know, being a bit more creative, doing um, artwork, etc. But it's also spending time with your friends and family. I think sometimes you're living the high life as a lawyer, very intense, very, very difficult, very hard for people to relate. And when you take a step back and you spend more time with your friends and family, they're able to provide you with a unique perspective of how they perceive you how you could actually benefit. Some of the work that I do is within the local community. I feel like the skills that I've gained as a lawyer is very transferable into the local community. So it could be like just gathering about, providing support, helping them petition. And it's just the more people that you're in contact with outside your capacity as a lawyer, it just feels like a well-rounded experience. It's also reaching out to people that in the legal profession, for example, might be suffering from mental health issues, but you would never assume. So when I reach out to my friends, peers that I've met, just reaching out to them and asking them, how are they? And next thing you know, they're explaining to you and you just have this unique understanding. So I'm always keen to learn whenever I do have time on new skills, etc. But sometimes it is quite easy to fall into that trap of working 12 hours a day. And sometimes you just have to expect, you know, accept that it's not the right approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's very nice of you and, and well rounded off um, in, in that sense. And we can't underestimate the value of kind of, you know, spending time with your family, you know, people you enjoy spending time with and, and, and kind of making sure you do have some, um, you know, downtime. I don't think we should also sugarcoat the fact though, as, as business owners, you do have to work hard if you want things to progress. And, you know, the legal sector, as you mentioned, is exceptionally competitive. So, you know, you do have to be working smart, but, you know, don't forget to take downtime. Um, 
and really enjoy those moments when, when you get a chance. And I guess just sort of as we, we, we wrap up, if, if people have been as inspired as I'm sure they will have been, you know, from your journey and the risk you've taken and where you've got to and all the great things you're doing, how can people get in touch or follow you um, or follow up on anything else we've discussed today? What's the best platform for them to do that? I'm very, very open. As an individual, I'm always happy to hear from different people from different stages of their life from different professions. You can reach out through LinkedIn, through email, go on our website. There is never not enough time for me to actually reach out. I'm always happy to help people. I think one of the sort of key experiences that I've understood is spending a minute or two with someone can actually help them go a long way and inspire them, just like it inspired me. One of the journeys that I had, for example, was actually, uh, which is a unique story. I know uh, we're rounding it off, but I would love to share this, was when I was in college, I used to go to college in North London. Uh, near Holloway, so Highbury and Holloway, that was our sort of old stomping ground. And one of the few, few things that we used to love was there's this Holloway Road where it's full of like shops, etc., food shops, etc. And there was a massive Argos there. And I remember sometimes we used to go into the Argos, for example, to buy stuff, etc. And there was this one security guy um, who always used to like jokingly try to kick us out or tell us off because we were too loud, etc. cetera. And we'd always sort of like joke about, I remember being as a law student, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. You know, I'd love to help you out, etc. cetera, and this and that. And he was like, if I ever need a lawyer, I'll let you know. And um, well, short story, in a summary, essentially, I found out a couple of years ago, actually, he ended up, the same security guard that we used to joke about, he's, you know, just, just wind us up really. He used to share his experiences, how he was studying in the UK. Turns out he became the president of Gambia. So this wow. individual well, this individual went from just being like a you know, like a security guard for Argos. And next thing you know, like a couple of years back, he ends up becoming the president of Gambia. And it just sort of inspired me. I mean, I reached out to him, we've spoken, etc. But it just was an amazing sort of inspiration. And then you realize that, you know what, there's always one like successful story around the corner. It's just a question of where were you at that time when that individual became successful? So that's why reaching out to people, mentoring, you know, I put a lot of bonus on that because you don't know whose journey you're going to be part of. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think you've probably won the prize for the most inspirational end to a Legally Speaking podcast story um, with that. And I think that's just a fine example of, you know, treat everyone with the utmost respect um, within your network and you never know where, where things may land or, or land up in the future. But Shaheen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the uh, the podcast i think your stories and what you've done is is just so inspirational so from from all of us and all the team here thanks so much we wish you your firm and all your pursuits every success for the for the future thank you so much rob